Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the PitcherBet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest, out in Las Vegas, Nevada, is Matt Morris. How you doing, buddy? What's going on? Yeah, man. Um, very eventful couple days for us here in the football world, huh? And uh, yeah, Las Vegas back. has lost a few of its shining stars, and I'm sure we will start talking about that very shortly here. Yes, they have lost some of their shining stars. Um, things are shooken up over there in Vegas. I'm a little surprised by some of the moves. We'll get into what they're doing out there, what some of their former former players are doing. Um, quick, didn't really prep you too much that, for this, but have you watched any of the World Baseball Classic. Just curious, have you been watching any of it? If so, what have you liked? What have what have you not liked? Highlights, lowlights, real quick. I absolutely love the nationalistic approach from some of these teams, the national love that you're seeing. The fandom is on a level that we're not seeing from traditional American baseball in MLB. You're seeing uh, what to, feels like, to me, elevated version of playoff games at times because you have these countries with so much pride of their own and their fan bases are you know, rooting them on at a level we don't see in playoff baseball. And I think it's really, really incredible for baseball. And I said this to my buddy just the other day. I said, I would not be surprised in 10 years if, if baseball can continue this momentum going, that we start to see these stadiums fill up more and more and more, and that the World Baseball Classic may actually turn into something much larger than it currently is because Major League Baseball realizes there's money there with telecasts and B, it is driving the sport forward. I don't know that any sport outside of the dream team in basketball has the same kind of momentum right now with this world concept. You have the Dominican Republic, Cuba, right? You have Colombia, Venezuela, you have Canada, you have Denmark, you have Australia, you have all of these countries that are putting together rosters and it's competitive baseball, right? How fun is the story about the plumber that struck out Shohei Otani? How fun is it from the Nicaraguan kid that is 21 years old, strikes out Juan Soto, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogarts and signs a contract an hour after that performance with the Detroit Tigers. It's just an incredible opportunity for some of these players from other countries that are not currently signed to come out and showcase themselves and play on a national level with some of the greatest players in Major League Baseball. I think it's it's something very, very special. And I think this is the first iteration of the World Baseball Classic with social media involved that's really being able to broadcast the game and market the game in a whole new light. And then you add just the diversity of the new rules into play. Overall, an absolute home run. Um, it doesn't, to me, doesn't really matter who wins. Just a great showcase overall. That's awesome. Um, one question came to mind for me while you were talking and love the answer. I think you're right. And it has been cool from just the social media that I've seen. But I think my big question off of what you said was, why are the fans more passionate? Why do you think they're more into it? And why do you think you're seeing this energy on a whole other level than, in my opinion, even some pace, uh, playoff baseball games? Well, and this is hard because I don't necessarily know the proper like uh vocabulary terms to use here and i don't want to be offensive but i'm going to do my best the south south american teams in general when you look at like dominican winter ball cuban league um you know i'm sure venezuela has their own leagues every time you see clips of separate leagues outside of the u.s these fans in general mexican leagues are outright enthusiastic about the sport like it's a party <laughs> okay. they're showing up to party 
And I think when you talk about the the national appeal for each of these countries and their fan bases, like that doesn't stop when they leave the Dominican Winter League. Like they're now rooting for the Dominican team in the World Baseball Classic. So you're seeing these fans show out with the same energy. And I think Americanized baseball just has never really felt that because you don't have the same expectation when you show up to the ballpark that everybody's rooting and enjoying their company with each other. You know, like even playoff baseball is very individualized in your seat. Like maybe you make friends with the people next to you, but like how often does an entire section like bring the life out of that section and bring the life of the section next to them and next to them and next to them? Like it's about building that energy. And I think these fans do a better job of that. And Major League Baseball needs to figure out how can we bring some of that energy into the league itself and especially into the playoff format. Um, and I, I think that's honestly, like if you look at cheerleaders, like I know as stupid as this concept may be, <laughs> but like how do you get each section to get fired up? Like do you have like almost like a sectional host in each like area where like you're getting people involved and you're like you're enjoying the company of the people around you? Because it's something that you almost need to create in American culture while it's already flourishing in other cultures. Yeah. And I think it also varies state to state, culture to culture in America. Yeah. And I think that's what was, at least for me, from the outside looking in, fun about the Phillies run last year. Because it seemed that the Philadelphia Phillies actually had a real home field advantage, field advantage. in comparison yeah. to almost every other team in the playoffs last year, right? They were going crazy. I know they have a mascot. Go back all the way to 2002, Matt. I don't know if you remember this. I think you do because you were a fan of the Angels when they were making their run. Yeah, rally monkey. They had the rally monkey, you know, and yeah. it's soup. It's stupid. It's corny, but it gets the people going. Like sometimes that's all you need. And I would love to see that a little bit more out of the Yankee fans, the Dodger fans. And I'm not trying to call them out for any reason, but I specifically the Dodger fans, because I relate and am closer to them in proximity of where I live. But there is this pretentious feel about the fans and that if we don't win, it's the end of the world. And there's all this pressure rather than just going to the ball game and cheering for your team and being all in on them, no matter what happens throughout the game. And I think that's something, like you said, these, um, Latino communities in these Latino countries are really, really good at and us Americans aren't. And you look at European soccer, you look at a lot of different examples of different sports, fans and cultures across the world. And that's something America falls a little short in because there's a maturity aspect to it. There's also, you know, people are really stupid and there's almost too much in a weird way, a level of respect between the fans and the players. Whereas fun gets lost in that level of respect, you know, if that makes sense. Well, and, and to your point, I think when you talk about it differing from state to state here in the U.S., look at um, San Diego with the antics that Fernando Tatis has showcased over True. his first three years. And a lot of the ways and emotions that Fernando showcases on the on the diamond here in the U.S. is the same nature that you see in the Dominican League. Where when someone pops off a home run, it is, it, I mean, talk about right. disrespect. <laughs> they're going off. Right? They're going off. Yeah. They're throwing the bat. They're, you know, they're pumping the crowd up. And in that league, it's just become normalized because that's how you play. Like, I remember the interviews years ago when they were talking about protecting the game's, inter like, you know, history and integrity of, like, you know, you can't disrespect a pitcher. It's like, well, you know, A-Rod came on and said, you, you hang a curveball. You should know damn well I just pimped you. Like it is, you should fe feel bad about it. Like I'm gonna celebrate, just like if you strike me out, you should be able to celebrate. 
And I think that's what we're seeing from these cultures is like the fans are more involved because Ronald Acuna in the Dominican league hits a home run. Like he's literally staring at people so excited for his fans and what he just did for them. And the crowd's going crazy. We need to normalize the fun. And I think as we slowly let go of like these unwritten rules, which are bullshit, we're going to start to see more fun. It's the only (laughs) way baseball will survive. Yeah. I think we need to see it in American culture in general. You know, like have some more fun at the game. Obviously, be responsible, but be rowdy. Lose your voice. Get excited. Be, you know, friends with the people around you. Talk shit respectfully to an opponent uh, fan in the stands. But, you know, you. the last thing I'll say before we get into the football, but is you get bitched at for standing up at a game. Like I remember having to defend myself and my girlfriend as we're sitting 20, 20 rows up at the Rose Bowl for a Rose Bowl game we spent good money at to go watch an awesome college football game. It's like, no, I'm going to stay standing. If I want to stand up, I should. I'm excited to be here. I didn't pay a few hundred dollars for both of us to be here to just sit on my ass. Yep. I'm going to drink beers. I'm going to have a hot dog. I'm going to cheer. I'm going to talk smack to the other fan next to me that's on the other team. Have a good time with him. Have good banter. Watch a good game. Like Normalize that behavior, not sit down in the front. We're trying to watch the game. Like could just do that at home. Well, and there's two things I want to touch on what you just said about the, the fandom experience. And then first and foremost, you can't get engaged in a major league baseball game with the way that time was running three and a half, four hours. You just can't do True. it. You don't have the energy levels. So the change in the rules will definitely drastically impact the experience you have at the ballpark. If it's only two and a half, two hours, 45 minutes, they, they're there from first pitch to last pitch. Damn, I can get down to party for three hours. No problem. (laughs) The action's quick. Things are happening. Like, you know, we're cheering. I'm so excited. I missed two, three pitches. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I got to sit down and stop taking so many damn chugs of my beer here. But like, that's the experience we're looking for as opposed to, all right, the pitchers had four pickoff attempts, uh, scratched his ass, changed his pants, wait, his cup is the wrong size. And now we get the next pitch. (laughs) Like everything is slowly working in Major League Baseball's favor. World Baseball Classic couldn't have come at the right time. And then to touch on the fan experience, I experienced that at Lambeau. And it was the first time in a football game since probably 10 years ago when I was at Camp Randall where I got to realize what that experience is like. And what I would say is that ultimately these teams need to think about structuring their stadiums in a better way where if you do have three guys standing up, you know, the five foot two young woman or older woman behind them can still see if she chooses to stand up, because as it stands right now, if she stands up, she still can't see. So I put that kind of on the construction of the stadium. And I hope to see ways around that moving forward, because as it stands with, with yeah. construction nature, you know, it's not yeah, that's I mean, that's the way the cookie crumbles, man. Like, that's yeah. just it, it's how it's going to be. Just don't bitch about it. Let's have a good time. You know, you know, you're short or, you know, you're going to be sitting and everyone's going to be standing like, unfortunately, how I feel about it adds on you so well and, it is what it and is. also <laughs> like if you if you build camaraderie with your section and i have had this as exactly. a sports fan forever i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you hey you know the, the people below us are a little shorter why don't we swap there's no difference in me standing one row or the other row like you let's get you the you know five foot two lady down here like i have no problem with that but if yep. you're jerks to each other nobody no one's gonna do that like generalizing having a good time is going to make sure everyone wants each other to have a good time and you're going to do what's in best what's what's best for the section um 
And I, I've only had a few experiences like that as a sports fan where I've seen an entire section looking out for each other. And that is the absolute best experience. That's worth <laughs> yeah, the money. Fun. Yeah, for sure. That happened to be in Oakland um, as a visiting fan was yeah. all lit up with my buddy who was all lit up, just actually sat in the wrong section for the entire <laughs> game. Wearing our Packer jerseys, we won, but made friends with all the Raider dudes there. We're taking shots with them, hammering beers with them, making bets with them on, are we going to get a first down turnover? It was fantastic. And after the game, they said, fuck you, gave us a hug. And we walked out of the stadium, man. Like, that's what it's all about. Right in the middle of the black hole, dude. Yeah. It can even happen there. That's crazy. That's a great story. Okay. So we're here. Football season has officially arrived, Matt. It's March 14th. Tomorrow's the first league day, the day that this podcast will drop. And um, we've had some pretty big moves. Now, unfortunately, you and I were like, we're going to record Tuesday night. We're going to wait this out because we'll be able to give our Aaron Rodgers take. Unfortunately, the take is he's still waiting. The Packers are still waiting. The Jets are still waiting to decide what's going to happen with Aaron. Um, We'll get into Lazard signing and different things like that, but Unfortunately for our audience, I think that'll probably have to wait till either next week or if Matt and I have time tomorrow to record a quick take to put it on our social media for the podcast. So um, Rogers is still on the Packers. As of now, it's looking like everything is pointing towards him becoming a New York Jet, which is hilarious considering that's exactly what happened with Favre and history is truly repeating itself. And for all of our friends on TikTok and social media, the matrix is repeating itself. The (laughs) world is flat and we are living in a simulation. So uh, (laughs) that's the Packers rant a little bit. But how we wanted to start this free agency frenzy is actually we're going to break it down to three parts. We're going to go through the trades that happened first. Then we'll go through guys that have been signed to a team that were free agents. And then we're going to go through some guys that are still on the board who we'd like, maybe who we would like to see them go to, um, but talk a little bit about them specifically as players and see how long they'll be on the board. So let's start it here. Bears kind of started everything. Um, I think that trade went down a little less than a week ago. In my opinion, I thought they got a great deal for it. You have a little bit of a difference of opinion than me, Matt, but this is the details of the trade. The the Bears trade the Carolina Panthers the first overall pick. The Bears get the number nine pick, the number 61 pick in this year's draft, a 2024 first round pick, a 2025 second round pick, and the cherry on top, DJ Moore. What were your thoughts, Matt? Initially, I, I thought that the Panthers gave up too much. Um, when you're trading your number one weapon in DJ Moore with the intention of drafting a quarterback, the number one question is, okay, well, he has no weapons. Looks like you'll have to build around him. And now you obviously are trading away next year's first as well in the 2025 uh, second was concerning because it's like, well, how are you going to build around him? I thought the Bears did a very good job of acquiring assets as well as you know bringing in DJ Moore to f- facilitate that number one wide receiver spot in Chicago with very few free agent wide receivers available, also very few wide receivers in trade market available outside of DeAndre Hopkins, who is aging. I thought it was a very good deal for the Bears, not so good for the Panthers. But now that I've really sat back and thought about it, my first initial reaction was, hmm, I wonder if Carolina did this because they got ahead of everybody else. And I wonder if Carolina has intentions of trading this pick 
for a bigger haul than they just gave up. Now, I think the the real shining light in that is that DJ Moore was a part of this deal. So you still lost an asset, a player asset, and a guy that you know is valuable. So even to trade back again from the first pick would be questionable. But the reason I'm having a lot of concerns about this trade now is because of Aaron Rodgers. And the report came out today. I don't have the reporting uh, source, but that the, is that the Packers may be willing to hold on to Rodgers until the draft to recoup as much value from the Jets as possible. Because as it stands right now, like you said, it seems all indications is that Rodgers is gearing up to go to the Jets and the Jets seem to have more leverage than the Packers. But at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers is still a Green Bay Packer. So if the Packers do what is right, which is require a certain package from the Jets and they hold him until the Jets are absolutely desperate, they should be able to get the most out of New York. Now, the reason I think this ties to this trade is because as it stands right now, that trade was made. The Bears lost the first overall pick, gave it to Carolina. The only opportunity for the Jets to trade up and draft a quarterback, which is not Aaron Rodgers, so you obviously are starting over with the Zach Wilson experience yet again, um, would be three to care to uh, Arizona. And I feel like what the Jets would have to give up would be an absolute mountain of picks because they are picking at 13 and Carolina would fall outside of a defensive enforcement player like the Anderson or like the defensive tackle from Georgia. So three would be an option. Five for Seattle would be an option and six for Detroit would be an option. But again, if you look at five and six, you are now out of the top three quarterback race. Presumably Richardson would be gone. Presumably um, Bryce Young would be gone and presumably Stroud would also be gone. So at that point, you're better having Rodgers. So they really have no choice but to trade for Rodgers or to go all in and hope they can take the third player of those three at the top of the first round. It's very interesting. So I think Chicago, had they held on a little bit longer, may have been able to maneuver maybe a bigger draft asset class where maybe they could have gone from one to four and then from four to nine. Um, it's going to be interesting to look back on this in hindsight. I just feel like Chicago may have jumped the gun a little bit but I'm not unhappy with what they got in their haul. I think it will set them up pretty well moving forward. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but you are right. You can't be unhappy with that. And nope. obviously having the two picks early, two picks in the top 61, we'll say, in the draft this year. And then honestly, I'll go out on a limb and say they got a top 10 pick from Carolina next year. Yes. Even if Carolina gets... They're, whoever they're going to have the number one pick if they don't trade back right say they get stroud young richardson whoever they're feeling right they're going to be a bottom 10 team at the end of the day i i don't see them i think i think it's a top five pick put them right i, think like, it's, I do yeah. so yeah we'll say top 10 conservatively right yeah so they got a top 10 pick next year they the bears and i think the bears in way too early prediction and this is podcast down the line but i think they're going to be in the same position similar to the new york jets in next year's offseason so they're going to be in the realm of we'll say 14 to maybe 20 right like they're still going to fall there they're not going to make this deep playoff run like i see people freaking out that they're the best team in the north maybe the best second or third best team in the nfc that's twitter why you love it but <laughs> calm down um but i think they hit a home run with this trade because that pick next year is going to be valuable and i think the reason if they did pull the gun too early or just decide yep we're going to do this now is because they got a pro bowler right yeah you can't 
underestimate the value that DJ Moore is going to um, bring to that team. And he hopefully will help Justin Fields take the next step. As you've seen with a lot of these younger quarterbacks last year, Jalen Hurts, a couple years ago, Josh Allen. Once they get a guy on their team that's actually a wide receiver one, as they call it, or a pro bowler, you see the quarterback then take another step. And if Mooney can continue that good relationship with Justin Fields, they do have a halfway decent offense. Now their O line still an issue. We'll get to their signings later, but I think to start off free agency in this new uh, football season, um, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable trade. I think almost as surprising as the second well, one we're going to go over here. Real quick, Matt, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Why don't you put your GM hat on here, okay? Okay. You're you're Chicago's GM. You're not sold fully on Justin Fields yet, but sure. you're not you're not happy with any of these guys to draft them over him. That's obvious. So you're looking to leverage this number one overall pick for the potential of obviously future picks. I think what also may have happened here, and I want your opinion again, GM hat, you're Chicago and you get to choose between the Panthers, the Colts, the Titans and the Jets. Okay. All quarterback needy teams. We'll say the Falcons as well. I think Carolina will be the best pick next year the highest pick next year out of all five of those teams do you agree and if not who would you rather have traded with with possibly the attempt of drafting williams from usc next year yeah i think the only other one and eh, maybe two would be tennessee and atlanta and that's contingent on if tennessee's going to trade henry i think if they trade derrick henry they're for sure gonna oh. be in deep trouble right like they're they're going to be bottom dwelling. The other one's Atlanta, but with Atlanta, I really like their head coach. A, not that I don't like Tennessee's head coach, but B, I think they're actually building a halfway decent squad and they already won more games last year than I expected. And they're going to have another year of off season with the coach with Ritter. Um, once again, we'll get into some of the signings, but they're signing guys now as if, Hey, we're actually going to try and win this division this year because that one is wide open. Yeah, no, I agree. So with I'd you agree with I, you. I, I'd say Carolina is probably the safest bet for worst team projecting into next year. And yeah. by the way, they've acted throughout free agency and getting rid of McCaffrey last year. Like they literally just traded two of their best three players in the past uh, seven months. Yeah. Six months. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad team. And I'm looking at next year and I'm thinking Carolina's in that mix for number one pick. Obviously, Houston. Houston's bad. Arizona without Kyler Murray most of the season, they're definitely in that equation. So you're, you're going to probably see this one, two, three repeat itself, but Chicago will own the pick. Um, and then mm, probably Tennessee, depending on like what you said, what they do with Henry. Um, and then honestly, man, I, I'm not seeing anybody else. You're talking about four teams yeah. that... Chicago could be up there. They have assets. They say, hey, Fields couldn't get it done in, in year three with DJ Moore. Like, we're going to go all in for Williams. And maybe, hell, maybe Carolina just gets the number one pick. Maybe they're that bad, you know? And how devastating will this trade look for Carolina if that's the case? Because um, then it'll be yeah. like you you drafted CJ Shroud or, or Richardson and you could have had Williams. Like, ooh, yikes. Yeah. Put them in a nice. Oh, well, that's yeah, yeah. I don't know. They're going to be in deep trouble. Um, we'll see how it works out. But we'll go to the next trade, which was I think my second favorite trade of the four that we're going to go over was Jalen Ramsey to the Dolphins. 
um, for a third round pick, which honestly, that's a steal. Ramsey is still say what you want about the guy. He's still a top two, three corner in the league. He's unbelievable. Takes too many risks, but I think last year he was getting burned more often because I think he knew he had to make a lot of plays and he did make a lot of plays, but he did make a lot of mistakes. Um, I'd love my team to have Ramsey. You're lying to yourself if you don't think that. And at the end of the day, now the dolphins have a really, really good secondary. They have a really good front seven. Um, they're putting all the pieces in place to give their team a shot at a deep playoff run. Obviously, the biggest question mark is going to be the quarterback to a can he stay healthy? And they shared that up a little bit by getting Mike White. I don't know if you saw that they signed him yesterday, yep. but going back to Ramsey, I love the trade for the Dolphins. And I think my question to you, because I think it's obvious about the Dolphins, unless you have something that I didn't cover, but what does this mean for the Rams? Is it over? Is that Super Bowl team officially rebuilding? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, we were, I was calling for this the year of the Super Bowl. I said this was a right. catastrophic mistake to tie your money up in the players that they did, including a veteran quarterback who has back issues and then elbow issues. And I think now what we're going to see is this will be the last year of the Rams where Darnold will play one more year and then retire. Stafford will probably retire or be traded or released. Um, you'll see Cooper Cup possibly leverage for a first round pick or a package, you know, send him somewhere. McVay will retire and this LA team will slowly go back into a foundational rebuild. And if you think about it over the longevity of sports, they had no choice. You build a $5 billion stadium in one of the <laughs> largest markets in the world. You have to go out and be competitive for a championship and the expectation is to win a championship. They marked all those boxes, right? So I think they've bought themselves this time and this period within Los Angeles where they're now a legitimized team. They can now rebuild and have sustainable longevity, but you've got to be able to turn some of these pieces into assets. And I think this Ramsey trade was, in all honesty, a steal because it should have been at least a second round pick. Like uh, Ramsey was, if I remember reading on Twitter correctly, and if these sources were right, he was like third in <laughs> pass coverage and first in run coverage from the cornerback. Again, listener. Do your own research. Could be completely wrong. <laughs> but if that's the case, you're getting a steal at the end of the third round pick. And again, money's attached. So I understand there are finances to this. Like how many teams could actually trade for Ramsey? But you're going to be playing against Aaron Rodgers now. You're going to be playing against, you know, Allen now. Like you have two uh, legitimate quarterbacks in this division that you're going to have to go up against. What better way than to bring in Ramsey, pair him with Howard? That secondary is very fierce. Filthy. Yeah, a healthy year, uh, healthy offseason of Jones as well there in the secondary. Um, they're going to be really, really nice. I just thought of this while you were talking about the Rams and them establishing themselves as a legit franchise in L.A., which I think you're completely right. But um, hello, do they finally have a first round pick next year? Maybe they are the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Maybe they're the team we're not thinking Man, about. That's like, you, imagine? you know what? I, coming from USC, oh, going to the Rams, man. like tell me that's not in the fucking script, right? Like take a year off Stafford, get that spine to heal, get whatever the hell you have going on. Um, you know, Cooper cup, have a decent season, but stay healthy and win two games, one game, right. And find a way to fall into Caleb Williams. Like, I don't know. It'll be tough because I think their roster is still a bit too talented to be that bad. But I mean, they were three injuries, 
in a whole <laughs> a whole bunch of old linemen down this year from almost being the worst team in the NFL. Well, and, and listen, Matt, things can change very, very drastically. We've seen it in sports before, right? Like this might've been the first domino. If Darnold says in two weeks, damn, I'm just not doing this for five wins. Yeah. I'm not doing this. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna retire this year. Maybe he comes back 2024. Who knows? He's still young enough. And he says, I'm I'm gonna sit this year out, right? And then it's like, well, damn, you know, wide receiver markets a, a desperate wasteland. We can get two first for Cooper Cup right now. That's crazy to say, but maybe, maybe. You never know. You never know. With assets, we're gonna do it. Quarterback desperate team like the Jets, desperate Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay's asking for too much. Okay, you can have Stafford for a third or a second, you know, and then all of a sudden. This is talking about a full-on tank. Caleb Williams is almost a lock to go to LA. And now you've <laughs> rebuilt all these assets with all these trades because each year that passes, Cup becomes a second, becomes a third, right? Stafford becomes a second or a third to a seventh or a cut. Like, this is the time. Do they take it? You know, what kind of conversations are happening in front office in LA? Like, very interesting to see. You know, I we don't always see these things coming. For sure. I totally agree with you. I just thought of it right now that would be pretty sweet actually even though you and i both on the record don't like the rams but i like williams i'll like the rams yeah, yeah. <laughs> um another big trade that happened was stefan gilmore to dallas for a fifth and his contract i hate the cowboys too as a packer fan but oh my goodness did this just Man, this chef's kiss, you know, they were really quiet. They, as in the Cowboys, super quiet thus far. Oh, shit, almost knocked over my computer um, <laughs> in free agency. But what a slam dunk. Him and Trevin Diggs, Trevin Diggs, um, with that safety group with Hooker, um, that defense is, that's a must draft defense in fantasy right there. You know, like that's, they're going to be top three, no doubt about it. I got San Francisco uh, number one and then number two straight up right now without doing a ton of research into everyone else. I loved, loved, loved this trade for Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're just adding another um, ball savvy secondary piece with all pro oh, yeah. defensive player of the year potential out there. Now I know that he's you know aging a little bit, but you have Parsons on the edge allowing pressure and giving him more opportunity to jump routes, to read coverage. Again, this is an elite level Charles Woodson type acquisition, I oh, think. Yeah. Now, I think he's a little older than when Woodson came to Green Bay and won that Super Bowl for the Packers. But yes. I think it could have a very similar role in kind of getting digs even to calm down a little bit more, maybe to finesse the play a little bit, to be a little more savvy, a little bit less risky, calculated. Um, and, I, and I think overall, this in regards to giving up a fifth round pick was slam dunk now i think i would have rather had ramsey for a third but both of these are a plus trades for the aqua for the acquiring team of the player like i i love both of I these. Agree. and again the development of digs i think is the really important piece here because gilmore can he can turn this kid into a very special player if he can just get a couple tweaks to his game and then you're talking about a secondary that you can't throw on. Jalen Hurts is in deep trouble with these two at the <laughs> cornerback position in that division. No, for sure. I think you're 100% right, bro. Like, if he can just get not necessarily the instincts, but maybe the technique of Diggs to just be another level up and actually have two guys that Daryl Rivas, Antonio Cromartie on the outside, and Parsons and the rest of and Lawrence up front, like, 
oh man, they they I beat know. the Niners. They win that game in the playoffs, even with Dak playing like shit, right? Yeah. Um. Once again, noted Cowboys hater, but you can't <laughs> help but love this move love that this they deal. made. Yeah. Um. Their division rival tried to make a trade to offset this. I think I am. I'm going to let you go first here. I'm on the fence on this one. I don't know how I feel about the last trade we're going to cover before we get into the signings is Darren Waller to the Giants for pick number 100. Basically, they traded for Darren Waller with that pick they got from Kansas City for Kadarius Tony. What was your thoughts when you saw this? Um, I don't love the fit. I like you. I like that they give Danny Dimes uh, another weapon because he's going to need to essentially target the middle of the field now that Dallas has these cornerbacks and that the Eagles have their secondary that's pretty fierce as well. Yep. And you know Washington's front four are the dominant factor for the for the Commanders. Um, so they had no choice but to get him a second level guy. This had to happen. Now while they're being injury prone, I don't love. And I'm going to say, on all honesty, third round. Tight ends are usually where you find your guys. But I think what the Giants are saying is we can't wait for development here. We need a guy to come in that has proven to have all pro potential and to develop into our number one tight end option. And I that's Waller. Like there's no question about that. Sure. But for for Las Vegas, perfect, right? Like you will talk about the Jacoby Myers signing, but you replace Waller's production with Myers. Probably fits the offense a little bit better than what Waller did because Waller was coming from a different scheme before McDaniels got there. And then also, you can just draft your replacement in that third round role. That's again, back to when tight ends get taken, when tight ends break out, it's usually around the third round. So I like it for both teams. I honestly don't think it does much for the Giants because I expect Waller to be injury plagued the rest of his career. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vein as you. I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it. I think we all know what Waller could be, should be, but he just hasn't the past two years. And let's be honest, Jones isn't a better quarterback than Derek Carr, in my opinion. You know, like, let's not forget how inconsistent he is throwing the ball and how much of a liability it is. Um, I just don't know how good of a fit it's going to be. I don't know how big of an impact he's going to make long-term for them. Maybe a few games here and there, but... Um, out of the four trades that we went over today, it's my biggest headline, maybe, maybe, uh, and they're definitely not biggest headline, but just kind of felt like going to get it. You know, when teams just kind of go get a name, that's what it felt like. Like, Oh, the giants got Darren Waller. Like, yeah, that's awesome. But I think they're losers at the end of the day when we revisit this in a couple of years. Well, and just one thing I want to add, and I have absolutely no, you know, reference point to this, but. I'm really curious with Darren Waller's um, history with addiction and well-documented. He's talked about it. Right. If if he is unwilling and probably should be to take any painkillers, because mm. when we talk about his injuries, a lot of them have been like little naggers that don't really catch up to most other players. And like his nagging injuries have kept him out for weeks on ends when, when you're just like, well, damn, he should be back already. And That's a valid if it's, question. You know what I mean? Like if it's because, yes. hey, most of these other guys are all perked up and they're like, well, screw it. You know, <laughs> I'm feeling great. And Waller's right. over there like, I got to do this naturally. Those nagging injuries turn into bigger problems. And right. That's just it's it's just something that crossed my mind, and it's to think about the human again in the NFL, right? Yeah. To think about like you're trading for human beings. There's a backstory to each human. Like 
How does his transfer from the Raiders to the Giants go? Does the, does the Giants medical staff have as much patience with him, have as much understanding with him? Very interesting when you talk about that human element. Yeah, and bouncing right back over to the Raiders here. We'll just start the segment of guys that have been signed. Yeah. Kind of, I don't want to say the biggest, but pretty big, to be honest with you, was Derek Carr. You know, there was a lot of a lot of slander coming his way after the season, and he'd probably be the first person to tell you that he didn't play as good as he should have. But you know, Carr is still a he's a top fifteen guy. He's a top half of the league quarterback. Like I said, I'd rather have him than Danny Dimes. Uh, goes to the Saints. I think it's actually a fantastic fit, Matt. I really do. I think it's a great fit for him organizationally. He's playing in a dome. And he has weapons with um, Kamara, Olave, and they re-signed Mike Thomas on kind of a one-year prove-it deal. So if that guy can somehow, some way stay healthy, um, he's going to produce for you too. I think Carr is by far the best quarterback in that division now and puts the Saints as the front runner for the NFC South. So I think that was a win for Derek and a big win for the Saints too. Well, I think it was a big loss for the Jets. Um, you know, all the reports <laughs> were counting, sure. accounting from New York had just rave reviews about Derek's uh, interview process, everything that they had taken from their exposure to him. They loved him. And Derek came out just a couple days ago and said one of the big reasons he didn't get traded was because he only was allowed to speak with the Saints, which is ironic that he ended up signing with them, but he had wanted to go through the process of actually feeling like a free agent. And I was shocked when the details came out, four years, 150. That showed yeah. me that these teams do believe in Derek Carr and that they oh, think yeah. it may have just been a bad fit there in, in Las Vegas and his time in Oakland. And I think a lot of us around the league are very curious to see what does he look like in a better organization. Now, again, I would have liked to see him with the Jets because I think that core is probably trending in a better direction than where the Saints are. The Saints have essentially just said, let's try and run this back now, right? Let's continue the Drew <laughs> right. Brees era. Right. Let's like, let's see if we can keep the momentum alive. And now you're doing it without Sean Payton. So love it for Derek Carr. I'm a Derek Carr fan. Obviously, I had my hate and my slander for him with the Raiders. And I think there's more to sure. that when you live in the moment. I really hope he has success in, um, in New Orleans. And again, biggest loser, the Jets, slowly getting their leverage taken away from them. Jimmy G gone, Derek Carr gone, right? Yep. You're seeing the backups, Mike White off the board. You're seeing Taylor Heineke go today. Like Their options are running out. And right. this is exactly why the Packers have had frustration with Rodgers because I think Derek Carr was probably the better fit all the way around. Yeah, long-term for sure. Yeah, That's the thing with Rodgers, which I don't want to just – have this take over everything, but he's not committing to three years. Rogers isn't. And I think Carter's inked up for four Super years. Bowl. I think Derek right. can win the Jets. Like there's just such a good, oh, it's frustrating, man. I, we, why aren't we GMs? Just give, give us the money. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good signing there. Stoked for Derek. I mean, it's tough not to like that guy. Yeah. Um, we had a couple other, not low key, but, D tackles, so they're not the sexiest signings, but the Eagles lost lost, excuse me, Javon Hargrave to the Niners. Classic, right? Niners just <laughs> loading up on defense. Four years, 84 million. And your guy, Deron Payne, re-signed with Washington, four years, 90 million. You were on that um, I don't know, 
a little bit ago when we were talking about it. Uh, we had Saquon Barkley do this, do the franchise tag, which you and I had a nice debate about. It was obvious to me. I'm shocked they gave Danny Jones yep. the 160, which is a little bit farther down the list, but four years, 160 for um, Daniel Jones. Marcus Davenport, I thought was a nice signing for Minnesota. The end, one year, prove it deal. And then I think we can stop and pause here. Jason Kelsey resigns with Philadelphia. I think a pretty big signing. <clears throat> Excuse me. He committed to coming back for one more year, but the Kansas City Chiefs, the champs, moved on from Orlando Brown, signed Jawan Taylor from Jacksonville for a little bit cheaper of a contract, four years, 80 million. Orlando Brown still sits in the free agency market. We'll talk about him later, but. What are your thoughts on some of these signings? Well, it's really interesting because if I'm correct, I think Jawan Taylor is a right tackle moving into possibly the left tackle position mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. Um, didn't really look into that too much, but when I was doing my pre-free agent um, research, it was talking about will someone give him a deal because, of course, he is right tackle. Now, obviously, the Chiefs have a hole at left tackle. We'll see how that all plays out. But, you know, I really will lean back on the conversation we have a lot, which is you pay the guy $50 million a year as your starting quarterback that has to come out of somewhere. This is that exact location, right? Instead of paying your left tackle $30 million, you're going to have to settle for a guy for 20 and possibly a guy that's now going to reposition a line, right? Go from right to left. So do you have the same production? Um, that's the sacrifice of having the best quarterback in the NFL, the quarterback that has come off a Super Bowl victory, Boo-hoo. Everyone should feel so bad for the Chiefs fans that they lose <laughs> Orlando Brown. But I think this is a really great signing for the Chiefs. You found a little bit of a discount. You got a guy that's proven. Taylor's only 25 years old, so maybe his best years are ahead. This might come yeah. back in four years and look like an absolute home run steal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can get a top six, seven left tackle for $20 million a year, that's a, that's a steal. <clears throat> um, moving on. Jamil Dean re-signed with Tampa Bay. I thought that was a great signing for them. James Bradbury, big signing, stayed with Philadelphia. That was huge for the Eagles. I was really nervous they were going to lose a lot of guys in the secondary. Um, this was the big splash for, or, um, excuse me, for Chicago. They took Tremaine Edwards, four years, $72 million, And then um, Broncos got a tackle. I want to stop at Edmonds. I don't love it. So hear me out. Okay. Okay. Attacking this, they're attacking the second level. We just talked about that with Waller, right? Right. They're pairing up that second level to defend against a young Jordan Love, a weak passer, and a slot heavy passer in Jared Goff, and question marks in Kirk Cousins' future in the NFC North. I think what they're trying to do essentially is force these quarterbacks into making throws where their secondary and their front can really enforce a different level of defense. Because if you don't have a, a second level, if you don't have the linebackers that you want on the field, you're going to allow Love and Goff to kind of just pick you apart in the middle of the field and kind of cover up some of their flaws. And again, we don't know Love's flaws at this point, but I would imagine a young quarterback is going to really lean on the middle of the field. Bringing in Edwards and Edmonds is going to bring in that veteran presence where it's going to make life very difficult on Love and on Goff. I really like these moves and they were good pieces. And I think Edwards was actually kind of a discount. Edmonds probably got paid what he deserves. He's a great middle linebacker. Yeah. Edwards was definitely the better signing just monetarily. I just like, 
Edmonds is well, he's young, so he's got <clears throat> a lot of room for improvement. But at the same time, Matt, I'm just like, what was the Bills' weakness on defense? It was the middle of the field. Yeah. It was Edmonds. Yeah. And when they were getting beat through him, they were st- the defense were, let's get away from Matt Milano. Let's not let Matt Milano beat us. Let's try and go after Edmonds. That's what Cincy did. That's what Miami did. So, I don't know. I Where I look at this is, these two guys better be better than Roquan Smith. Right, like that's yeah. what it is. Like you, ha- these guys have to make a better impact than Roquan, or else that is going to go down as one of the worst moves ever. Honestly, because they had, I'll I'll go out there and say they had the best middle linebacker in football, if not the second best, and they just kind of let them walk for a draft pick. And if these two guys can't do it, it's going to look shitty on um, the front office of the Bears. Well, and if I'm correct, I think they took that pick. Yeah. Well, no, they took their own pick and traded it to the Steelers for Chase Claypool. And then they got back Baltimore's at 53. Yes. Um, God, that's such a bad trade. I mean, we knew it when it happened. We broke that trade down and I said, this is just, it's a travesty. For Claypool. It's a travesty. Um, yeah, it was stupid. It was bad. It's frustrating. Um, so yeah, to me, I get, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I'm gonna tell you outright, it's not gonna happen because he's gonna Ro, Roquan's gonna go down as one of the best middle linebackers of this generation, like a ten year period, decade, decade. Um, and how do you trade a decade decade talent for a 56 overall pick and then replace him with a guy that has question marks? I get it; they're doing the best they can. They have 96 million dollars in cap, so who really cares at this point? I do think, though, with the lack of ability, per se, in the youth of quarterback in this division, he may be able to take a step forward because, again, you're talking about quarterbacks that he played in the playoffs. Two is probably better than almost, I'd say, all the quarterbacks in the NFC North outside of Kirk Cousins. And then you talk about Joe Burrow, no questions asked, better than all the quarterbacks in the NFC North. So maybe he is able to take that step forward because he's allowing himself to grow with quarterbacks who are also growing. Yeah, I feel you. Um, that one, it didn't sit well with me. But, you know, you I think you said it right. They had money to spend. They got to spend it, right? Yeah. Um, the free agent market this year is average at best, to be honest, yeah. too. Um, moving on, I thought this was huge, too. Jesse Bates, four years, $64 million with the Atlanta Falcons. We spoke about it with the Bengals. This time was happening. Their window is shutting. I know realistically that they're going to have a chance every year, but their window is shutting to have guys like Jesse Bates and, um, you know, these stars all over the field because these guys are going to get paid and they're going to leave the team. They're going to have to keep burrow. Um, this is the first domino that fell. I actually loved, loved what the Falcons have been doing this off season. Like I said, a little bit earlier, I do think they're shooting their shot to win this division this year. Well, yeah, and that goes right into the conversation you just touched on that we had earlier about the draft picks. There's no way in hell I want Atlanta's future first-round picks because this team's going to be sitting at that 8, 9, 10, 11 for the next couple of years until you know Desmond Ritter can maybe be the guy or they can find the guy. Like Having Bates come into the secondary shores up a team on a secondary that's starting to figure it out. You know, shores up the ability for um, Terrell on the outside to, to take some yep. more risks. Like, th- this is a great signing for Atlanta. I really love what they're doing. 
they might be this team in two or three years that has everything other than the quarterback. And that's the perfect kind of team for Desmond Ritter to actually to utilize. So I'm really excited to see what Atlanta looks like on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball next year. And in regards to trading up, trading down, you know, don't touch Atlanta's draft picks because you're said it. I would not be surprised if they're able to give the Saints a run for their money because they just have some pieces with their draft cap or their their cap, um, you know, space to really make some impact moves. Yeah, I agree with you. I love what I love what Atlanta is doing. They um, they even signed Taylor Heineke too. I yeah, that was an awesome sign. Love that. I don't think love I that. saw him on this list, but. Um, impact guy. I'm scrolling down a little bit here. Uh, the next one I want to get to, we already, already went over Edwards a little bit. So I'm going to move past him in Chicago, but Jacoby Myers, there's the one I was looking for three years, 33 million. What were you telling me in our prep for this about that? Yeah. So when I was doing pre free agent research, there were a few reports, um, you know, whether it be bleacher report, ESPN, whoever it may be, it was a, a credible source that was really trying to project some of these contracts. And they said, well, looking like back at last year and looking at the very, very weak wide receiver class this year, they expected Jacoby to maybe go out and get 20 plus million dollars a year. And I was like, oh my God, there's no way I'm paying Jacoby Myers $20 million. But I also didn't see Christian Kirk getting $26 million a year. So wouldn't have surprised me. And when the news broke today and I saw this come across my phone, I was like, oh my God, he got fleeced. But I'm assuming teams <laughs> have now said, we're not overpaying for players that should be overpaid for. And Jacoby Myers falls right into that classification. He's a top 50 NFL wide receiver, probably, but he falls right in line with Alan Lazard and his ability on the field and his possession receiving yep. you know, skills. They both got signed for what they deserved. And I would rather have Jacoby Myers. Um, you know, reuniting with Josh McDaniels, kind of again filling that Darren uh, Waller uh, share on the football field for touches think is a great signing for the Raiders curious how it affects Hunter Renfro um similar type of roles obviously Renfro plays a little bit of a different role than Myers I expect Myers to now come into this number two role maybe have Hunter Renfro play the slot well yeah Renfro is more of a slot guy so I think it works out perfect because they'll have him uh Myers they'll have Myers they'll have Hollins and then obviously Devontae Adams I think they'll be completely fine they'll have plenty of bodies to go out there and depth just in case someone gets hurt. So I thought the signing was great. And Myers, like you said, he's a wide receiver too. He's a wide receiver three. Give the guy credit. He's not Christian Kirk because Christian Kirk is a wide receiver one, right? Like he deserved maybe those few $5 million that he got overpaid last year. No one's going to make that mistake with Jacoby Myers this off season. And, I'll tell you um, what though, Matt, this ain't, this ain't the fastest NFL uh, wide receiving core we have though. That's there's not outside of Hollins, a lot of speed with these guys, a lot of possession receivers. That's actually a pretty valid point. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. And um, speaking of the, you're going right into the next signing perfect because you can't have a burner with this quarterback jimmy garoppolo three years (laughs) 67.5 million dollars i called him in my work slack today or the other day Derek carr light light um now you know i'd like jimmy i'm probably a bigger fan of jimmy than you are i've gotten on the podcast mike and defended him probably when i didn't need to i hate this signing to be honest with you i just don't understand i mean i get the josh mcdaniels connection but 
if you're going to go through this big stink as the Oakland or whatever Vegas Raiders about Carr and basically ship him off after everything he did as a leader and as a player on this team to go bring in Jimmy G. It just, okay. it's okay. I, I don't get it. I get and it. who's the backup. Cause you need one. He's not yeah. going to make it through the fucking season. Well, that's, what's crazy that Jared stuck. Is it stuck or stick Stidham. Stidham. Thank you. Stared Stidham signed with the Broncos for two years, 10 million, which is a great signing right. for them. Um, shocking. They didn't bring him back, but I was thinking about it a lot, Matt. I think this is a clear indication that Will Levitz will be a Las Vegas Raider. I think Jimmy G will be Buying his jersey. Absolutely not. But it's standardized, <laughs> you know, comes to my current hometown. Hate the guy the right. most. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it's like Christian Watson. We're like, I'm sure I'm I was sure you'll dead serve, ass wrong. Yeah, I'm sure you'll serve him a, um, a soda water with lemon or something, you know, and he'll be a cool guy. And he's going to be like, I saw the podcast. You're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prove me wrong, Will. Um, but no, they're at seven. And I, I genuinely think Levitz will probably fall there. And and Jimmy G is going to give them an opportunity to take their time with Levitz. And really what this does, Matt, is it buys Josh McDaniels time. It buys him a little bit longer of a leash because you know things didn't work out with Carr. New regime's coming to town. You got a clean house. But now you're on the clock, right? Say you go trade for Rodgers. Now you're now you're justifying possibly being fired two years into the Rodgers experience if you haven't won. But if you sign Jimmy G to be the starting quarterback while you're developing Will Levitz, that buys you not only Jimmy's three years, but two more years when Levitz takes the reins. And I would all in all honesty expect Will Levitz, if he is drafted, to be the guy that comes in probably year two and starts or maybe year three. Maybe they sit him two years, play him when Jimmy gets hurt. But because they didn't sign Jared to that backup role, I think there is absolutely no question in their mind they're drafting a quarterback at seven or they're trading up. Yeah. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I have two more, and let me know if I missed one or someone I didn't talk about. This one was a small one. I just want to touch on it really quickly, is that Jimmy Ward signed with Houston, moving yep. over um, with the new head coach over there from San Francisco. And I love this for one reason, one reason only, is he's going to make Stingley a better player. And I think he's going to bring the culture for D'Amico over there in Houston. Um Low-key signing, not going to win them any more games than we probably expect them to. I just really liked that signing when I saw it on the board here. And then the last one that I wanted to go over was the David Montgomery signing, which he's moving from Chicago to Detroit, which is funny. I feel like this happens in the NFC North a lot, is that guys interchange teams, the um, running backs are kind of middle-of-the-road players. And the big question there is... What's going to happen with Jamal Williams, right? Are they still going to re-sign Jamal for a smaller deal? All indications are he's out with this. So my prediction for Jamal, Jets. Yeah. Yeah, be the be the placeholder until Brees can come back in full strength and get reunited with Rodgers. Uh, yep. Fully agree with that. Or, or, or Matt, he goes to Minnesota. Stays in the NFC North, goes Packers, wow. Lions, Minnesota, um, or he goes to the Bears because you got teams with need, right? And all indication is that Dalvin Cook could possibly be traded in the coming weeks. So the Vikings will need a running back. You know, the Bears will need a running back now that Montgomery is gone. A lot of opportunity for him to stay in the North. Green Bay obviously doesn't need running backs. So again, really sad because he's our guy. He is one of our right. number ones on the show. 
We love him. I love <laughs> what he did for the Lions. I love the Lions. Uh, I was really disappointed, but honestly, from a football perspective, I get it. Montgomery's younger. He checks out. Checks out. Um, yeah. So there were a couple I wanted to highlight, if if you don't mind. Uh, no, please do. Through the list. Really, really like the Dalvin Tomlinson to the Browns. Four years, $57 million. Uh, definitely looking to kind of lock up that interior defense there in a division that's definitely run heavy with the Raiders as well as the Steelers. Like that signing. Um, Minnesota also possibly, as we talked about, losing Dalvin Cook. So there's some pieces moving around. Next one is uh, Jonathan Jones for New England. You know, played very, very, very well last year. I think he was tagged, if I'm correct, Matt. Did they tag him last year? Um, I don't know yeah, that I we remember so, that. Actually. But either maybe, way, maybe not. I'm not sure. Two years, $10 million a year, $20 million total value. Like that a lot for New England. Uh, this next one, I think, is really big and really quiet. Aziz Alshair for the 49ers moving from San Francisco over to Tennessee. I know he's not the biggest playmaker on the field, but every time I watch the Niners, he was doing a lot of things, and he was really underestimated in that defense. I think he's a really big piece that they're going to lose. Uh, only 25 years old as well. Now, it could have been a benefit of having great players around him where he was always in position because he didn't have as big of a role. Sure. So it'll be interesting to see. We do not have a, uh, a current year or current contract valuation on that yet is to be determined. Um, and then last one, Von Bell. I know you wanted to talk about you know Cincinnati yeah. losing both of their safeties. Von Bell moving over from Cincinnati, going to Carolina. Kind of pointless, I think, for Carolina. Um, this is that one of those great, like, we're going to be bad signings, but we're going to spend some money. But I think a bigger <laughs> loss for Cincinnati. Yeah, for sure. I touched on it. It's um, a lot of the good teams. You look at Minnesota, you look at Buffalo, you look at Cincinnati. Um, you see all the bullshit going on in Baltimore with these AFC teams, right? It's tough to be good for a long period of time. What the Patriots did will probably never be replicated. And even with the Chiefs, we talked about Orlando Brown, right? We're seeing a lot of these really, really good teams, playoff caliber teams with quarterbacks on big contracts, which I feel like might have to be the new name of our podcast with one day is it does your quarterback have a big contract? Because if they <laughs> do, you will lose pro bowlers. Um, I'm nervous for my Cincinnati Bengals. You know how high I was on them last year. I would, I'm a betting man. I'm a betting man, Matt, and I would bet they're drafting a safety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple, you know, a first yeah. and a third. Like you you don't have a choice at this point and and you got to try and hit some home runs and it's funny because doing to the draft series like we've done for a couple of years now, we've been very excited about a couple second and third round guys. And Oh yeah. Where was that? Right? Like where was the foresight? We talk about that a lot in Green Bay, those years of wide receivers with Jordy and Randall being drafted when you had Donald and Greg and like just continuing the lineage of a strong wide receiver room because they had the foresight of what was coming. You know, I, I don't understand necessarily where Cincinnati and what they were doing without that foresight. So just something interesting to keep in, uh, on mind and as well an, an eye on. Yeah. Also to keep an eye on, let's get into the guys that aren't signed that we like here. So we touched on Orlando Brown, right? He's still out there. I kind of going back to the Bears being a bit annoying on their signings for me. It's like, you're going to spend 90 million. I'd almost rather spend the 90 on this guy than two linebackers. To be honest with you, Justin Fields needs protection. That is a big issue for them. 
Um, really curious to see where he goes. I think he deserves top dollar, which is why he's still a free agent a few days into the tampering period. He's going to warrant, you know, top two, three, four, um, left tackle money, and he deserves it from this year. I'm just really curious to see what quarterback he goes and protects. I hope it's one of the young guns that we like. Well, yeah, and I said this to you while we were kind of doing our, our pre-recording prep. I said my imagination right now is he has not signed because his phone is probably ringing off the hook between two, three teams. Yeah. And yeah. he's saying, hey, they just offered me 27. Okay, we'll give you 28. They just offered me 28. We'll give you 29, right? This is the game that's going on right now. Sure. And okay, they're guaranteeing this because he is bona fide, I think, top 10. Uh, I think he's probably a top five with his age in the NFL. Uh, yep. Love that. And I have some names actually deeper in this list. So how would you like to do this? You want to go from the number one guys or do you want to start with some of the, the smaller names? What are you feeling right now? You, you can shoot your shot with the, the lower name guys. Okay, so a couple tight ends and uh, actually a replacement for Cincinnati that I think you'll like here a lot. I think okay. they might be able to get Adrian Amos on a discount. I think mm. Amos might go over to Cincinnati, still that veteran presence where you can pair him up with a first round talent and because he's a leader, right? He was the defensive captain for Green Bay for a while right. there. And I think that would be maybe a seven, eight, nine million dollar two year deal where you could bring him in and not have to destroy that cap where Bates would really hurt you. Probably better than a, a Von Bell as well. So I like okay. Amos, possibly Cincinnati. It. Um, two young tight ends that I really like, and I could see possibly making an impact. Um, Irv Smith starting off 24 years old, leaving Minnesota was a former first round pick, former Alabama standout. We've talked about him in fantasy a lot, never has performed to the level that we have expected. I could see a similar Evan Ingram, um, propel in his career. If he goes to the right organization, to the right system, interesting to see, does he go to a Raiders? Does he go to a green Bay? Like, does he go to a team that's going to utilize that second level a lot? Um, and then Hayden Hurst, where does Hayden Hurst fall? Because almost the opposite of Irv Smith, does he go to a team like Green Bay or the Raiders and really continue to keep this like, you know, middling of the pack slash top 10 fantasy value? And I think he's a name to watch because if he goes to the right organization, he could have a really big impact. Oh, see, I didn't even see Hurst on the list. That's so that changes things then, man, because now you got on the list as well as Mike Isecki, who I saw. But yep. my favorite guy on the list is Dalton Schultz. And yeah. obviously he had the ACL, what was that, one or two seasons ago? So he does have injury history. But um, I didn't know Hurst was on a prove-it deal last year, and he deserves yeah, the money. He looked great, great for Cincinnati. But they're obviously now in the market for a tight end. And if they can get Irv Smith mm. on a prove-it deal or get Schultz on a two, maybe three-year deal, I don't see the problem with them is they can't do long-term deals with anyone really because they're going to have to work on Chase and Higgins here and obviously Joe Burrow. Um, I didn't know Hurst was a tight end that's available. Those are actually really, really good guys that on the right team, right system could find massive value and win playoff games with some of these dudes. I'm really intrigued actually to see who Cincy gets, who Dallas gets. Um, there's Those are solid names out there. Well, and you have the upside or you have you have like the high ceiling, high floor, right? You have Hayden Hurst as the really high floor guy. You know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Probably pair him up with a, a younger quarterback with like a Jordan Love, right? Now you have Irv Smith, the really high ceiling, the, the lower floor. All right, well, go give Joe Burrow a guy with a really high ceiling and let's see what he does because I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to do. 
and right. or even Dak Prescott. Give him a guy that can pair really well with the athleticism of a, of a lamb. Maybe Irv Smith is his guy because we've seen what it looks like with a Dalton Schultz, who's also profiled similar to a Hayden Hurst. Just a much deeper tight end class than I think we saw because Gasecki comes into this class and is probably the last guy I want. But definitely Correct. a startable tight end in a bad yep. system last year. I think you could get him at a discount as well because of the numbers. Overall, there's some really good options at tight end where, you, where also you don't necessarily have to look at that first and second round draft prospect that we'll talk about in a month here. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess since we're talking lower half, because there's two guys I definitely want to touch on um, on the defensive end of things, but we can talk about the receivers, right? Once again, kind of middle of the pack guys, but you got Juju Smith, DJ Chark, Odo Beckham Jr., Nicole Harkman, Hardman, excuse me, Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton. Um, and I just saw one more, Richie James from the Giants. Now, no world beaters here, obviously. <laughs> um, I'm out on Juju. Yeah. Unless he comes back to Kansas City, right? Like he is he is who he is. I think the guy on here I'm willing to take a leap with and a risk on. Obviously, okay, sorry. Two guys. Odell. Duh. I I will yeah. take the risk on Odell. You have to, okay? Sorry, I, that's a given. The other guy though, DJ Chark. I think what I saw out of him last year in Detroit was fantastic. If he's the number two guy on the team, you risk, are you um, down the risk of injury with him? And he's athletic, he's big, and he can catch the ball. He had a really good season once he was healthy in Detroit on that prove it deal. If I'm a team looking for a good wide receiver to <coughs> Green Bay, I go after him, honestly. I think he makes a really big impact on a good team. I, I like that. Um, I need to see more out of Chark to say the same because I would have said the same thing two years ago. I'm a little burnt on him right now, so I don't disagree with you. I just don't want to be biased here. That's fair. Um, but I like the Odell. That's a duh. Only downside is you're probably <laughs> going to have to pay him $20 million a year like because he is still One year deal is worth it. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how the negotiation goes. Either way, sure. love Odell. Um, second, I think the biggest steal here, an offensive changing guy, is Miko Hardman. And I say that because what the Packers did with Christian Watson last year, I think is being replicated on multiple different fronts with multiple different teams here. And Mikel Hardman, say with the Bears, could add an element that Christian Watson adds with Green Bay at possibly a, a discount. He's not a second round pick, not the first round pick of the second round, right? You're going to go out there, sign him for a one or two year deal. And may be able to give you some of those gadget plays with that speed that allows you to change some of the ways your offense looks. So I think Mikko Hardman is worth just that alone and what he does for your formations. Yeah, I was just thinking about him hypothetically on uh, Miami, <laughs> just like as a joke. Add you know? more speed, like, God. Like, All of our guys run a four three nine. It's like if you do not touch them in five yards, they are scoring. Yeah, to um, it, just throw it fifty <laughs> yards. Someone will be wide open. So the last two guys that I wanted to talk about here, though, um, I think these are the I know it's kind of a loaded statement, but I think these are our Super Bowl guys like to the right team, to the right system. These are guys that can either take your team to the Super Bowl or change your team into a Super Bowl caliber team based obviously on where they go. And that's um, Jordan Poyer from Buffalo 
and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, obviously, it depends because both of these guys are in a different spot in their career. This is Poyer's probably last contract. He's 31. Gardner-Johnson, 25, right? Like he's just coming off of his you know, ceiling season. He played fantastic. He was awesome for the Eagles. And I honestly like for Poyer specifically, because I think no matter where Gardner Johnson goes, he's going to make an impact. But I think for Poyer specifically, if he goes into that team, that's literally one veteran away, right? I think he propels the defense to Super Bowl caliber. Whereas Gardner Johnson if I'm the Bengals and can find a way to scrape that money together, that's who I go for because I have them for four years, five years, right? Whatever it might be. Well, and and I think they're, you're talking money on the same kind of concept here, but you're, you're spot on with that. And I think that's why Poyer probably takes a little bit of a discount and goes and plays with a team that's competitive because that's what he's known most of his career. That's what he's been known for with that Bills defense. I think Johnson goes right. and just chases that cash money, baby. I think he, As he should. And he should. I think he probably signs with the Bears. Um, I don't have the list in front of me for who's got the most cap, but like I'd expect yeah, maybe him, like the Texans, Texans or something Titans, random. Titans, yeah. 18, 19 million dollars a year for a safety. Like he just gets money thrown at him because he's he's one of the best in the league. But the problem is if you sign with the wrong team you're just going to be cut in three years because they're garbage anyways, and they don't <laughs> want to pay you the money. So really would like him to go with the bears. Uh, think again, building that defense. If they don't get Orlando Brown, like you might as well go get Johnson because you need somebody in that secondary to make, be a playmaker and to help, you know, develop Johnson on the outside as well. Um, you know, to Johnson as a secondary is always fun as well. But anyways, uh, chase the money Poyer, <laughs> go out, sign with the team. I could see Poyer also landing with the Bengals on like a two year guarantee guaranteed deal you know two years 35 guaranteed something like that but again i don't know their cap situation and uh i think the relationship with bates is probably why he wasn't resigned because i do think they have a little bit of money i think bates's franchise tag last year left a really sour taste in his mouth 100 100 percent. um last thing about poyer he did come out in an interview i think it was on pat uh mcafee saying i really just want to sign somewhere with not too many taxes so um that lines up well Texans. for the dolphins, dolphins again yeah, dolphins. to um to get on on the sweepstakes and just keep loading that defense up could you imagine him in miami in that secondary Talk about a fucking loaded D. Oh man, you'd have the yeah, dude. You, I mean, they're loaded everywhere outside of like linebacker and D, loaded like D line. Obviously, they've no, their D lines dialed. Yeah, yeah, but I, and they and they traded for Chubb. Yeah, it's not. This is why you don't pay your yeah, quarterback. They're loaded. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is why. Yeah. Cool. Well, everyone, we'll see you next week. Um. We'll probably have a Rogers take. Maybe we won't. Who knows? And then you know what time it is. We're a month out. It's draft series. We're here. It's time. We're going to dive in. Favorite part of the year, baby. Oh, and okay. Fucking a, how can I be? What am I doing? Hey, happy March madness. Are we fucking serious? I can't believe I started with the world baseball classic. What am I doing? Go gamble. Go fill out a bracket. Talk some shit. Do what you need to do. Happy March madness. Oh my God. Love all the March Madness people out there. I will be with some of my buddies gambling, having a good time in Arizona. You all have a great weekend. See ya.